Okay, I'm gonna get started. I always wait until um, like five minutes after because everyone shows up like 10 minutes after. So the people who are walking in, you're gonna miss the first part of it. So that'll teach you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so today, so last week I talked about um, historical Jesus and how that should affect our faith. And this week, I'm going to be talking about salvation, because I can't ever choose a small topic. Um, so I'll just kind of start by talking about my um, kind of concept of salvation as I was growing up. Um, so when I was younger, when I was probably like three or four, my parents had me pray what's called the sinner's prayer that was basically just a acknowledgement of my own four-year-old wickedness and the acceptance of Jesus' grace and that was kind of like, so I guess I became saved as it were when I was like four years old and I spent the whole rest of my childhood and early and teenage years and early adulthood and even today still struggling with what does salvation mean. Um, I think that when I was growing up, I had a paper-thin salvation. It was, um, I, I believed that Jesus died for my sins, and that if I asked him into my heart, that I would be saved from hell. That was like my concept of what salvation meant. The problem with that is there were um, three things that kind of went along with that. So there were three conditions on my salvation. So the first one, it was dependent upon whether or not I asked Jesus into my heart. Second, now that Jesus was in my heart, I had to live the holiest life that was possible. And uh, third, by these conditions, uh, if I was the one who put Jesus in my heart, I also had the ability to put Jesus out of my heart through my own sin. Um, and the result was a lot of pretty much tear-stained altar calls where I would go up to the front of the church and be like, I'm still a sinner, I'm not saved, I need Jesus. And it was kind of this like never-ending revolving door of like, okay, I'm saved, but now I did something wrong, so now I'm not, but now I'm saved again, but now I'm not. So it was this kind of back and forth. Um, and it was, it was pretty miserable because there was, a lot of, um, there was a lot of guilt associated with my salvation because it was a... In a way, I earned it because I'm the one who said, Jesus, come into my heart. So it was kind of, a lot of it was, a lot of it fell on me. So it was either I performed or I didn't perform. And that was the, that was what either made my salvation or broke my salvation. Um, I kind of put myself in a really bad place through that. And I now view salvation and heaven and hell in completely different terms. Um, so I'm going to try to break down kind of what I think about heaven and hell and salvation, um, kind of what research I've done into it, and I'm going to pray at the beginning because, uh, like I usually do, I bit off a lot more than I could chew with this topic, so I'm just going to pray that um, God will give me peace and direction and the right words to say because I have to cover a multitude of topics in like 30 minutes, so... Um, Jesus, I just ask that you would that you would give me peace and that you would give me strength, that you would give me the right words to say, that you would communicate truth through me. Um, I ask that 
I ask that this message would fall on the ears it needs to fall on, and I, I pray that uh, through this discussion we have a better understanding of what you mean to us. Okay, so I'm going to start simple enough. So for most people, salvation has everything to do with the afterlife. Um, I mean, why else would we put ourselves through this song and dance if there wasn't some sort of a payoff? Uh, can someone adjust the microphone because it keeps doing that thing? Oh, it's my beard. Oh, that's awkward. Okay, is that better? Okay, that's going to distract me the whole time. Okay, so, <laughs> so I'll say that again. So uh, for most people, salvation is about the afterlife. And why else would we go through this whole song and dance if it didn't pay off? So um, heaven and hell, that's what we're going to talk about, the afterlife. So I'm going to try and condense heaven and hell to about 10 minutes of this 30-minute discussion. So wish me luck, and we'll see where I get with that. Um, so we're going to start by looking at how Jesus' audience viewed heaven and hell. Because that's really, when he talks about heaven and hell, we have to think about it like when he was saying these things to these people, what did it mean to them? So we're going to start with the more juicy of the two topics. We're going to talk about hell. So um, the Jewish community at the time of Jesus did not believe in hell. Not in the way that we believe in hell anyways. They had a different concept. Uh, they talked a lot about uh, Sheol. And what Sheol is, is it's a like gray afterlife where everyone, um, both the wicked and the righteous, that's where everyone goes when they die. They dwell in Sheol until uh, basically the end of time when Judgment Day comes and the world is made right. So when Jesus... Um, sorry, we'll get to Jesus. When the Old Testament talks about hell... They're really talking about Sheol. So if we look at the word Sheol, it's mentioned 64 times in the Old Testament, um, and it's translated as hell 32 times, translated as the grave 29 times, and translated as the pit three times. Um, where part of the confusion with it comes is when uh, Christianity was adopted by the Roman Empire in Three, uh, I wrote it down again, 380 CE, the Romans had a similar concept that was called Hades, and it was very close to Sheol. It was just kind of where everyone went when they died. It, wasn't, it didn't matter whether you were right or wrong. It was just the concept of the afterlife in that time was everyone goes to this like gray existence where you just kind of wait it out. There was no punishment involved. Um, hell didn't become a topic of punishment until much later in history. Um, but specifically, I'm going to look at now when Jesus talks about hell. Um, Jesus mentions hell 12 times, uh, or at least when we read it in our Bible, the word hell is mentioned by Jesus 12 times. Uh, in every instance, that word is Gehenna. Um, and what Gehenna is, is actually a physical location. It's not a spiritual location. Uh, see, in Jerusalem, there was a valley that was referred to as the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. So I put up the translation. So Greek, we get Gehenna. Uh, Hebrew is Gehinnom. And so essentially what the Valley of the Son of Hinnom was, it was a place where one of the kings sacrificed their sons there or something like that and burned his body there. And it became like the garbage dump for the city. 
Um, and uh, so when Jesus was talking about Gehenna, he was talking about like a literal like garbage dump. Um, that's why when they talk about there's like weeping and gnashing of teeth, they're talking about like the wild dogs that are in this garbage dump. That's where that like imagery comes from. So when Jesus is referring to Gehenna, he's actually talking about a physical place that everyone knew and everyone was like, okay, like a dump. That's what he's talking about right now. Okay, so now that I've talked about hell, we're going to talk about heaven. <laughs> so um, Jesus' audience also had a different perspective of heaven than we do. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and part of that is the Jewish community had a very deep respect for the name of God, which was Yahweh. And they, wouldn't, they would intentionally not say his name. So one of the like, tricks for not saying God's name was to say heaven instead of God. So when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the kingdom of God, but he's also talking about the kingdom of, um, of heaven like we would think of it. Um, see, all the prophets before Jesus spoke about earth's redemption. That was their idea of heaven. It wasn't a, we're going to another place outside of this planet. It was, the idea was, this world that God created is broken, but he's going to redeem it. And that was their concept of what heaven would be. It would be a perfect earth. Um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verse 4, they kind of talk about that. It says, God will decide what's fair among the nations and settle disputes among all sorts of people. Meanwhile, they will hammer their swords into sickles, reshape their spears into pruning hooks. One nation will not attack another. They will not practice war anymore. So essentially, the concept of heaven at Jesus' time was... It was more about peace on earth. It was more about the redemption of the earth, not about the afterlife, per se. So if Jesus' audience was not focusing on the afterlife, what, what made his message good news? What was the good news of Jesus if it wasn't about the afterlife? Um, we get a clue about why it was so important in Matthew chapter 27. Um, see, at the time of Jesus, everyone was under the law, and the law was, we are, it basically pointed out all the flaws in man and all of our sins, and in order to pay for our sins, we had to sacrifice animals. Like, that was a part of the, like, that's what you did. Like, every year you would go and sacrifice a lamb or a goat or a dove or whatever it may be to atone for your own sins. Um, the religious system was set to keep mankind separate from God. Uh, and it was only through blood sacrifice that humanity was made okay in God's eyes. So something happens when Jesus dies. When Jesus dies, there is a curtain in the temple. There's a place in the back of the temple that's called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And their belief was that God actually sat on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain that went across like the front opening of it, and it was about 30 feet high, and it's rumored to be up to four feet thick. So it was this huge, thick curtain, and I believe it was just once a year the priests were allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. They had to wear a rope around their ankle because often the priests would go in there and they would die because it was too overwhelming to be in the presence of God, and their wickedness was too much to be in his presence. So they would go in there with a rope, likely die, and then someone would have to pull their body out. Well, when Jesus dies, the curtain, this four-foot-thick this four 
30-foot-high curtain splits from top to bottom. And what that represents is the barrier that keeps us separate from God has been split. Jesus' death is the final once-for-all sacrifice that was needed to right everyone with God. Jesus paid the debt for every sin that was and every sin that was going to be. That's the message of the good news. That's the message of salvation. Every human being throughout all of time has been made right with God through the sacrifice of his son. And we're going to kind of see in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, Hebrews was written to kind of educate I don't know if educates the word. It was a letter written to the Jewish community saying, this is what we believe about Jesus, and it takes all of this um, bloody sacrifice terminology and turns it into redemption. So what, what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verses 8 through 14 is what I'm going to read, so bear with me if I fumble over my words. But it says, Now when it says God doesn't want and takes no real pleasure in sacrifices, burnt offerings, and sin offerings, even though the law calls for them, and follows this with, See, I have come to do your will, he effectively takes away the first, animal sacrifice, in order to establish the second, a more perfect sacrifice. By God's will we are made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus the anointed once and for all time. In this first covenant, every day, officiating priests uh, stand at the post, serving offering over and over uh, those same sacrifices that can never take away sin. But after he stepped up to offer his single sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down in the position of honor at the right hand of God. Since then, he has been waiting for the day when he will rest his feet on his enemies' backs, as the psalm says. With one perfect offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being made holy. And I'll read that last part one more time because I think it's really important. With one perfect offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being made holy. The message of the cross and the message of salvation is not, I died once so you could understand that and keep repeating my death to atone for your sins. The message of the cross is, I died once for all. My blood atones all of the sins that you had before. It atones all the sins that you have now. It has atoned all of your sins in the future. Uh, My one sacrifice covered the sin before you knew me and the sin after. The message of the cross is a once for all. Uh, Once for all puts us right with God, but that can actually be the most challenging aspect of salvation because if we believe that salvation is once for all, that means uh, we are as saved as everyone else is saved. Because if it was once for all, that's once for all. I'm going to take a break from that thought and jump to a different thought because it's just what I do. Um, So let's go back to the concept of heaven and hell. Let's say that as human beings we are eternal um, and we think of heaven and hell as eternal. So that would mean that heaven and hell would have to be just as present here and now as it is elsewhere and later. Um, So think about like the two strongest human emotions that we know, the emotion of love and the emotion of hate. 
Uh, when you love someone, you feel like you have always loved them. That love affects the way that you see your future. That love affects the way you see their past. Because you, when you love someone, you like mentally you you can't picture a time where you didn't love them. Even if you haven't known them their whole life, it's like love is a thing that moves forward and backwards. Hate is similar. If you hate someone, which I'll admit I've hated people before, when you hate someone, you everything that they're going to do is out of some motive against you and everything that they've ever done before has been in opposition to you. Whether that's true or not, that's what hate does to us. It makes us think that everything going forward and everything going backward about that person has just been awful. Um, hate and hell, love and heaven, are just as present now as they will be later. So why would someone choose hell over heaven. And I think that we do it all the time. I think that we, in our daily lives, can choose to bring forth the kingdom of hell over the kingdom of heaven. It's as simple as rolling our eyes when we disagree with our spouse. It's as simple as, you know, it can be little things or it could be the big things that we all understand are wrong, like rape and murder and war. Like we, hell is something people choose just as much as they choose heaven now. So if heaven is as much now as it is later, and if heaven is a message that is brought by the cross, the idea that everyone is saved, that can be really difficult because I am just as saved as the person I hate. I am, uh, I am no more holy or made right by my own actions than the person that I, that I don't agree with or the person that I hate. Um, So the message of the cross is the most inclusive of all faiths, which could feel like hell to some. Can you imagine a racist in heaven? They would be really upset that they have to spend eternity with the people that they hate. Think about the worst human being that you know. They are just as loved and just as saved as you are. Is that a table that you can sit at? Are you able to put that aside? The real question is, are we going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth today, or are we going to bring the kingdom of hell? I'm going to wrap up with one last story in the Bible. Um, in all of the synoptic gospels, so those are the gospels that are uh, kind of tell the same story. That would be uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In all three of those stories, there's a story where a rich man goes up to Jesus and he asks, how will I obtain eternal life? Um, I think what's really important about that story is some of the words that he uses. So if we translate when he's talking about eternal life, uh, eternal life is actually translated as ha'olam haba, and what that means is the world to come. So like I was saying earlier, the prophets throughout all the time before Jesus have been saying the world will one day be at peace, the one will one day be made perfect. So when the rich man asks how will I be a part of ha'olam haba? It is not how will I be a part of eternal life, it's how will I be a part of this next kingdom to come, the next world to be brought here. Because they were operating under, we are under this world right now that is not perfect, and the rich man says to Jesus, how can I be a part of this world that is to come? And Jesus says, you have to sell everything you have. If you're going to be a part of this next perfect world, you have to sell everything that you have.
you see, Ha'olam Haba is not, it's not about ourselves. It's about this next world, this kingdom of heaven that is just as much here as present now as it is later and elsewhere. Our salvation is much more cosmic than ourselves. Um, we have been freed from the burden of sin. We have been freed of this burden of our debt. Um, so we don't need to be so inward focused anymore. Our salvation is not about us and about our afterlife or about everything that happens after we die. Our salvation is about being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's about bringing Ha'olam Haba to earth, the next world to come. That's what our message is. We are as much a part of this as everyone else is much a part of this. So I guess my final question before we do some reflection is, are we going to let our lives bring Gehenna, where Jesus talks about a waste, a, a garbage dump? Are our lives used to the purpose of that? Or are our lives used to bring forth Ha'olam Haba, which is the next world to come? Um, before we go into discussion, I'm going to just play some music so we can kind of re reflect on this idea. Um, and then uh, Matt's going to actually play it because if I try to touch it, I'm going to mess it up. But um, so we'll, we'll listen to this song um, and then we will start discussing what, what does this mean to us? What does this mean to our community? And I'm going to go stand at the back so you don't just have to look at me looking at you while I listen to this music. So. <laughs> 